Hey, Sparkles, you're listening to the Friendly Confines podcast with Chad and Ryan. This is David Kaplan from ESPN 1000 Chicago and NBC Sports Chicago. Take that. Chad, another special edition and another great guest. We have our second Pulitzer Prize winning reporter on this show. I recall that from the New York Times is joining us to talk about his beloved Chicago Cubs. It's it's so crazy. When we started this, we didn't know. Like we had hopes, right? I mean, when we started this, we thought we really we want to have conversations with cool people. And we had like big crazy guests. But the fact that we've had two Pulitzer Prize winners is is just stupid nutty. It's ridiculous that that uh, that we get that. I love it. No other Cubs podcast gets better guests, and we're unaffiliated. It's not. I mean, it's not like the Cubs are pulling these guys in. Forge of the marketing. We're doing this because they've heard of us, they know about us, and they respect us. I'm I'm hoping that's why, right? I would like to think so. It's 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 also our charm. I think is part of it as well. So, <laughs> without any further ado, here is our full interview with. Former New York Times sports reporter, Ira Burko. You grew up in Chicago. You're a city boy at heart before you once upon a time uh, started your sports reporting career. Give me your first memories of going to a Cubs game in the Wrigley Field and seeing it for the first time. If you can paint a picture for me, what that was like for you and how you became a Cubs fan. Well, um, I, uh, I, uh, the first time I went to Wrigley Field, as, as I can remember, I went with a couple of guys from my, the West Side neighborhood. And, uh, and the most striking thing, and it's, it's memorable, uh, forever to me is when I walked up the stairs uh, from the uh, the inner area uh, of, of Wrigley Field uh, where they were selling the hot dogs and and uh, and the uh, scorecards and I walked up and I was struck by the green of the of the ballpark of the field. And uh, it was just one of the most beautiful scenes I think I've ever seen. And, uh, and I, of course, I, if you fall in love with Wrigley Field. I think one has to. Um, and, uh, and as a sports writer and a sports columnist for over 50 years, and I've been to just about every major league park, um, and still the one that stands out is, is Wrigley Field. And uh, I remember... Uh, handful of years ago, um, uh, I had a, uh, a friend uh, who was a doctor uh, for the Yankees, and the Yankees were going to play the Cubs uh, for the first time since 1938 or something and, uh, at Wrigley Field. And so he, uh, his name was Dr. Hershon, Stuart Hershon, and, uh, and he accompanied uh, the Yankees to Chicago. And uh, and I said to him, uh, you're really going to be surprised at, at how beautiful Wrigley Field is. And he said, it's like the oldest ballpark in America. I mean, how beautiful, you know, can it be? How much can I be taken by it? And uh, so uh, he went there and 
somewhere like in the third or fourth inning, uh, I got a call from him in, to me in New York. And he said, Ira, you underestimated Wrigley Field for me. <laughs> that it was absolutely gorgeous and uh, and memorable. And uh, and he said, and I've, I've never been in a sports venue um, that has the uh, charisma uh, that uh, Wrigley Field does and, and, and retains. This must have been before you wrote your book, Ira. Otherwise, he should have read it. And then maybe it would have given him a better impression of what he was walking into. I <laughs> yeah, suppose. no, it was. I mean, if you look back, <laughs> the, the first time the Yankees played at, at Wrigley Field, uh, you know, so it was in the, the 21st century, um, uh, 2002, 2004. I, I, I don't remember. Um, or maybe even earlier, but whatever it was, uh, that, that was, he was, he was taken aback by it. And, uh, and everybody who goes to Wrigley Field is, um, uh, unless, unless you're in the grandstands and you sit behind one of the pillars, then you don't have the same kind of, uh, a pleasure of uh, watching the, the ball game. You have to strain your neck right. And you have to strain your neck left, uh, to see first base or to see left field. You uh, you wrote a wonderful book. It's called Wrigley Field, an oral and narrative history of the home of the Chicago Cubs. One of many books you have written over your career. Uh, let's let's make sure people know that you wrote this in 2014. What prompted you to uh, write the book and, and decide to uh, create this coffee table book about Wrigley and the Cubs? Yeah, uh, it, uh, a. Uh... An agent, uh, my agent, David Black, uh, was talking to the um, uh, an editor uh, at uh, Abrams, which which makes the most gorgeous uh, uh, art books, and uh, and he had said that coming up, you know, uh, uh, Wrigley Field had been uh, uh, featured. And like magazines, like Architectural Digest. I mean, it goes just beyond just the ballpark, uh, and um, and also you know this, the history of it is is uh, also is prominent. Um, and he just happened to mention that uh, I'm from Chicago and I'm, I've been a lifelong Cub fan. And at the time, I was writing uh, Sports of the Times column for the New York Times, and uh, and uh, she said, um, or uh, my agent, the male David, uh, said to this editor, was a woman, uh, that would make, make a very a, a, a beautiful book of uh, Wrigley Field, on the exactly on the 100th anniversary of uh, of the of the, the Cubs in the ballpark. And uh, and so uh, they came to me and they made me an offer, and it was uh, you know like. Um, uh, like the tough guys, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. That's right. And, uh, uh, and so I went about it and, um, uh, and then I, uh, among other things, um, uh, I hired a, uh, a young writer from the Chicago Tribune whose uh, family I was friends with for years. And, uh, uh, and his name was Josh Noel. He's a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And, uh, and so I, I hired him to do uh, interviews, uh, and, and I would write the text, um, but I also uh, I wanted to get uh, uh, um, Supreme Court Justice um, Supreme Supreme Court Justice uh, John Paul Stevens uh, to write a, an introduction 
because he's from Chicago and he is a lifelong uh, Cub fan going all the way back to when he was, I think, 12 years old and his father took him to the uh, 1932 World Series. Uh, and he was uh, in, at the third game of the series when Babe Ruth, you know, allegedly pointed to center field and called his shot. Uh, it's controversial about whether he was actually calling the shot that he's going to hit a home run uh, into the center field bleachers, but um, but he did. Uh, and so, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Justice Stevens uh, wrote the introduction uh, for the book, and I was thrilled with that. And then um, uh, and Josh was friendly with uh, Kerry Wood, who uh, the, the Cubs uh, pitcher, and uh, and he asked him to write the forward. And so we had these two distinguished uh, individuals, uh, uh, American personalities, Kerry Wood and Justice Tom, John Paul Stevens, uh, uh, writing the forward and the uh, introduction. And uh, and I think that that gave a certain gravitas uh, to the uh, to the book and. Uh, and with with great great photographs, and it's um, I, I have to say, uh, uh, objectively speaking, and I, I I don't know if you would agree or not, but it's a a glorious book. Oh, it it absolutely is, and I also want to make sure people know that you interviewed several people for the book, including President Barack Obama, Joe Montaigne, and uh, friend of the program and fellow Pulitzer Prize winning author George Will. Um, uh -huh. I'm curious, over the course of those interviews, did you learn anything in the time that you did interviews about the team, about the about Wrigley, about the city that dawned on you from interviewing these um, obviously highly accomplished and, and legendary people in, in some of these folks that you got the chance to talk to in, in making the book? Well, the fact is, uh, I don't think I necessarily learned anything from them um, <clears throat> other than somebody like uh, uh, Justice Stevens, you know, who was at that historic game with Babe Ruth and was following it. Uh, um, there used to be the Stevens Hotel in Chicago, but now the Hilton. And, uh, and, and John Paul Stevens' family owned that hotel. It was a huge hotel. I think it was uh, the, biggest, the largest number of a greatest number of rooms of any hotel in America at one point. And, uh, uh, and so his father, uh, was a prominent man in Chicago and, and he brought his 12 year old son, uh, John Paul Stevens to the ball game. Uh, um, but other than that, uh, you know, I, I grew up going to the ballpark, uh, hanging around to get autographs for the, uh, from the players, uh, following them for all these years, uh, you know, I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure I learned anything more. I, of course, you always learn something. You always learn something. Um, but uh, I do know that in some of the interviews, uh, I traded I traded memories uh, with with some of these people, and um, uh, so that was that was my uh, initiation into uh, the early part of. Uh, a cub fandom what what did you what was your takeaway when you interviewed the president uh for that for that book because 
uh, President Obama has always stated he's a White Sox fan. Yeah. What was his relationship like with the Cubs and, and Wrigley when you interviewed him for the book? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that was funny because uh, a Chicago friend of mine, a former state senator named Bill Maravitz, uh, was friends with Obama. And in fact, <clears throat> uh, Bill lives on uh, Lakeshore Drive uh, in a, du- a duplex. And uh, uh, and when Obama was starting to run for the presidency, uh, Bill gave a a, a big um, a party for him, a fundraiser, and uh, and so uh, and, and Bill was also friends with uh, Reinsdorf, um, the uh, owner of the White Sox, of course, and the White Sox were going play uh, Washington uh, and Strasburg then was the uh, outstanding young uh, pitcher uh, for the Washington Nationals. And so uh, Reinsdorf invited uh, Bill and me to come up. Uh, Bill was in New York with me and uh, visiting me. And then we went down to Washington. And um, uh, just before the game, uh, a a tall uh, or, or, or lean black man wearing a, uh, a white Sox cap uh, came in and um, it was then the president of the United States. This was 2010. And uh, so we, we, we chatted and, um, and I had known that he had said that he, he was a white Sox fan. And so, uh, and I asked him, uh, well, what are your thoughts on the Cubs? Now, as you know, there's a great rivalry uh, split by Madison, uh, Madison Avenue or Madison Street in Chicago. Uh, and south of Madison, White Sox fans, north of Madison are Cub fans. And there's a, a, a certain hostility. And, yes. uh, and, and, and Obama maintained that hostility as a White Sox fan. And he said, uh, he said, uh, and I asked him about the Cubs, and he said, look, I was on a radio show maybe a year earlier, and, and someone asked me about the Cubs, and I was not complimentary, and I got a, a lot of feedback on it. And so um, I'd just rather not comment on the Cubs because it, <laughs> it gets me into too much trouble. Well, who can forget also when the Cubs won the World Series and they came to the White House, and I don't think I've ever seen – uh, the White House filled the capacity for a team visiting. And uh, President Obama did make the comment that his wife, Michelle, obviously was extremely excited because she was a Cubs fan. So he has to be uh, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, partial, I suppose, or bipartial uh, in, in this respect, knowing that uh, in his family, it, it, it's uh, right down the middle, I suppose, for them. Yeah, well, so well it's, that. it's odd that, that Michelle, being a South Sider, you know, would, yes. would be a Cub fan. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe she took to Ernie Banks or something. You know, in, in, in the beginning, uh, uh, just as as when I was growing up in the late '40s, I took to Andy Pafko, uh, the Cubs center fielder at the time. Uh, and uh, but uh, I don't know if uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure Obama was proud that it was a Chicago team that won because he's he is so he is so associated now. Uh, with uh, Chicago, and so uh, you know, the Cubs win the World Series, and he had to be had to take some pride 
I, uh, I think, uh, in this, uh, especially since, although he was from Hawaii, uh, uh, Honolulu does not have a Major League Baseball team. It's time for the Golden Cubs Fun Fact of the Week, brought to you by our partners at Golden Rule Entertainment. Did you know that the Chicago Cubs have won 17 pennants in the history of the franchise? The first coming in 1876, and the most recent, of course, in 2016. The Cubs were one of the most dominant franchises in baseball, winning five pennants in seven seasons between 1880 and 1886 and then four pennants in five seasons between 1906 and 1910, including two World Series titles. That's your Golden Cubs Fun Fact of the Week, brought to you by Golden Rule Entertainment, offering big league opportunities while owning a piece of a minor league-style ball club. To find out more information about how you can become an owner, go to www.goldenruleentertainment.com. And now back to our interview with Ira Berto. Of course, I want to make sure I plug the book again. Wrigley Field, an oral and narrative history of the home of the Chicago Cubs, uh, written in 2014, but still an amazing book. Uh, to If you are a diehard Cubs fan and you can buy that on Amazon or other online sites or at bookstores that uh, are locally near you. Um, Ira, I'm curious how you consumed Game seven of the 2016 World Series and what that night and event was for you. And did it at all prompt you to write, not even necessarily something for the times, but just something personally that maybe you held yeah. on to or you kept that you still, you know, hold on to that uh, is personal to you? Yeah, um, I uh, I went to Wrigley. I, I went to see the, the first two games at Wrigley Field, games three and four. Uh, and, uh, and then I came back home and, uh, and I, of course I was, I watched five game five, game six. And then a friend of mine, a good, very good friend of mine said, Ira, I'd like to come over and watch game seven with you. I, uh, and I said, uh, I don't think it's a good idea because I'm going to have total concentration on the game. I, and I wouldn't want any conversations and uh, to distract me from watching the game. He said, Ira, I promise I'll come over. I just want to experience it with you. I want to come over, and I won't say a word. And so he came over. I opened the door. I looked at him, did not say hello. He came, he came in. He sat down. We saw a little, little pregame, and then the game came on. And, and he didn't say a word for, what, three hours or whatever it was. It was a rain out. And, uh, and I was concentrating. And uh, so it, that solidified my friendship with, with him. <laughs> he was always able to watch a game with you no matter what at that point. Yeah, he, he wanted to. He's a psychiatrist. Uh, and, uh, and we used to play basketball. That We met playing basketball. Uh, and I, I've, never, I've never sat on his couch. <laughs> or, or, or lay on his couch, um, but uh, but we were we we're, we're, we're friends. Our, our 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 wives are friends, and so on. So uh, I mean, he happens to be a psychiatrist. Okay, and so he said, I just like to come over and, and just experience experience this with you because he he knows I'm uh, you know I'm I'm such a Cub fan, and um, so that was uh, that was our experience, and 
he's never forgotten it. And uh, uh, and, he, and uh, he's never offered to come back and watch a game with me. Well, I think he hit the pinnacle at that point, right? I mean, to, yeah. to see it at that moment, you were you were about 76 years old at that point. To to see it finally come to fruition, yeah. what? how did you kind of manifest that at that well, point? Well, I was, it finally I, it, happened? It, 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 it brought me to tears, really. I mean, I, I've been following the team since I was, what, seven years old, eight years old, 1947, 1948. And I've been following them all these years, and uh, and even when I became a uh, uh, a journalist, and uh, sitting in the press box, there's there's a saying: no cheering in the press box because we're all professionals and we're all covering these games objectively as as we would cover a crime scene or something. And so you have to be ob- objective, and there's no cheering in the press box. Uh, on the other hand, when I would go to uh, uh, within Shea Stadium, or or when I would when I traveled to Wrigley Field, and I was in the set in the press box, if the Cubs did something special, I very quietly under the desk applauded. <laughs> you just never let Jay Horowitz see that. Yeah. Oh, Jay Horowitz, right? Never, and, uh, never wanted to make sure Jay saw that. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very cool. Let me ask you this. You've clearly covered a lot of baseball in your career. Yeah. Are you happy with the way the game looks today? Uh, do, you, do you, when you watch it, is the game better? Is it worse? It's certainly different. I think that's safe to say, but how do you view today's game of baseball comparatively to even 30 years ago, let's say? Yeah. All right. I, I'll get back to the minute. You, you had asked me another question about it. Had I written anything about about the uh, the Cubs in the World Series. Yes, World absolutely. Series. And absolutely. I did, uh, and I did, uh, um, and I wrote it for a um, a national press. I, I was now retired from the New York Times, and uh, but I wrote it for a, na- a, a national press organization, and uh, and uh, but and I had wrote two two pieces, one um, uh, before the World Series and then after the World Series, and they were included in a collection of my baseball pieces called it happens every spring and it was and that was published uh maybe two three years ago um but both those pieces uh are are in it um but you asked me okay so now we're, we're going to go back um i just looked this morning uh the cubs played who the milwaukee cubs? milwaukee milwaukee and they won three to two and so i just want to see the I went to Google and went and got the box score. And I saw in a three to two game that the Cubs had, I think what, six pitchers. Yes. Uh, uh, they had six pitchers in a three to two game. Uh, and the start, and I, I saw this, the starting pitcher. What was his uh, name? Uh, I don't remember. Adzale. What is it? Albert Adzale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, um, he pitched the first four innings. He gave up two runs in the second inning, and then he pitched a shutout third inning, shutout fourth inning, and then he was removed. Um, why? You know, uh, I mean, that's all I know about the game is what I saw in the box score, and uh, and then and then uh, here comes a a parade of pitchers coming in. Uh, who wants to see that? You know, I, I mean, I was surprised. I saw the San Diego. Uh, oh, what a lovely story. 
about this this pitcher uh, who I'd never heard of before, Joe Musgrove. Mm-hmm. And um, and he, he pitched. A, he's with the Sa- uh, San uh, uh, San Diego Padres now, and he was with. Go, and he pitched a no hitter in San Diego. And here was a high school. He played high school ball in San Diego, and a hometown boy. I mean, what what a what a beautiful story. Uh, and and uh, and his parents own a coffee shop in San Diego, so they're they're doing a big business now. All the San Diego people are coming in and getting coffee in this coffee shop. But the, but what what my point here is that he wasn't taken out after four innings or five innings, and and now he's pitching a a, a no hitter. He actually hit hit a batter, and so that was the only runner to, to get on base. So it was it was not a, a perfect game. Um, and uh, but the, the manager kept them in. There have been instances uh, in the last few years where a guy is pitching a no hitter into the seventh inning or so, and the manager takes him out. Uh, and so, to, to me, this isn't baseball. I mean, this is, you know, how do you follow this kind of thing? Um, on, on the other hand, um, if you if you go to my book on um, uh, on Wrigley Field. And I, I don't have the book in front of me, but I think it's page 21. And there's there's a picture of four Sullivan, Chicago, Sullivan High School baseball players, um, a, a photograph of them uh, taken in 1955. And one of the players is a, an outfielder, sophomore outfielder named Ira Burko. Okay. So, uh, the, and the, the reason, the reason I, I say this is because – uh, I've been following it for so long, and and I I, I appreciate it. I played four years of, of high school baseball. And I played American Legion and Pony League and and all that and uh, uh, Liberty League, um, and uh, uh, and I go to games now, and I watch the beauty of baseball. Uh, deep in, into the hole at short, turning and throwing that long throw across the infield. Go onto a baseball field sometime and and look and see how far, how long that throw is. It's a, a long throw, and uh, and and often at a play like that, they get the guy out by a half a step. I mean, this is it's just beautiful, and uh, and so I, I the the. And a skill and the talent uh, and all uh, and these guys are just so good. Uh, I uh, I grew up in grammar school and played on a pony league team on the west side of Chicago with a guy named Jimmy Nelson. Jimmy was a shortstop and he later he was an all city player. I went to Farragut High School and then he went to um, Northwestern and he made all Big Ten. Uh, as a shortstop, he was a terrific player, obviously, and we're still we're still very good friends. He lives in South Carolina now, and uh, and then he was signed by the Minnesota Twins, and he played one year uh, professional ball uh, uh, in a, a minor league farm team uh, for the Twins, and uh, and he had only a mediocre season. 
he may have batted 220 or so when he played a, lot, a number of games. And then they released him after the season. And it was sometime after, he, then he became a, a principal uh, in a suburban Chicago school, a junior, junior high school. And I went to visit him. And I said, Jimmy, what, what happened? Uh, uh, I mean, you were such a good, you're such a good player. And, uh, and yet you were, uh, you were cut. And he said, Ira, you can't imagine how good these guys are. The 25th player on a major league team is an outstanding baseball player. And, and, you know, and, and I've never been able to boo, uh, 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 sports, uh, athletes. I've never been able to boo them, uh, unless they do something really, really stupid, uh, in, in a game, mostly of basketball, uh, uh, sometimes Football, but not so much even in baseball, because baseball is 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 harder than I think almost any other sport overall, and, um, and so I. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, four guys uh, now play uh, for a left-handed batter. Four guys are are playing on, on the, uh, the right side of uh, second base, for example. And then the batter does not try to hit it down the third base line. Uh, and so the, uh, these are things that change, uh, although Ted Williams wouldn't, wouldn't hit that way either when a, a shift, on, uh, the first shift that was And um, so, um, but, but at the, um, they, 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 the outfield and, and a high fly ball in into the sky and it's very difficult but they make it all seem so easy um of course they they practice a lot but still at all um uh it's hard and uh and the pitchers you know um uh i, I was noticing a, a game yesterday uh, the mets and the phillies and there was a pitcher for the phillies uh, for the uh, mets named stroman and uh and the catcher gives a signal and then sets up and he has his uh, catcher's mitt like at the, the, at the knee on the inside of the plate to a right-handed batter. And that Stroman hits that, hits that, uh, that mitt. And I think it's, it's outstanding. I, I was a, a high school pitcher, and if the guy made um, uh, a, a target like that, uh, low and inside, somehow or other, I'd always throw it high and outside. I don't know. I was terrific at this. Uh, but uh, um, anyway, uh, I mean, the game is still beautiful. Uh, and I think uh, uh, probably the National League should also adopt the, uh, the designated hitter. Uh, uh, I was opposed to the designated hitter uh, when it first started, but, you know, why should the pitcher who doesn't practice batting uh, come up and uh, and and none of them know how to bunt, the, even if a is called for. Um, they just don't practice. So those are some of the changes I I see. And our thanks once again to Ira Burko, formerly of the New York Times, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter, has such an amazing list of things that this man has accomplished. So it was really great to catch up with him. And of course, be sure to check out his book about Wrigley Field 
the perfect complement to any coffee table, Chad. Yeah. Uh, really a absolute cool book that I think if you're a Cub fan, you will definitely. Yeah, see. I love the stories. I thought you did a great job on the interview. And I've had some friends ask at times, uh, you know, why do we pay, why do we team up on some interviews? Why do we go solo on others? And sometimes it just makes sense from a timing perspective because we get the people and we get them. Um, but that we had uh, um, God, who was it? Who was it? Oh, 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 boo, boo. I was ready to go. I was back home uh, tending to my mom dealing with COVID and, and I couldn't do it because I had a bad connection from the hospital and you did that. This was, this will go down in our, our time. Um, that's probably the, this week's, uh, uh, interview with Ira is probably the best one ever done because I produced it. I was there, <laughs> but I produced it. I was running the board and behind the scenes. I think technically it was as good as any, uh, um, interview ever done, but you obviously did a great job. I love the, the stories that came out of it. I, I love these stories. I love these guys that, that are at the top of their field, but at the, at, you know, at their heart, they're Cubs fans, just like us. Yeah, they really are. And and I loved his story about President Obama. That was so cool that he got to interview Obama for the book, along with Joe Mantegna. And uh, just, you know, talking to President Obama, who's obviously a very known Chicago White Sox fan, and uh, kind of what uh, that was like for him to uh, deal with everything going on in this book with the Cubs. So that was pretty exciting. So, And, and, uh, and if you that, think about it, when he talked about that, when he talked about it, I didn't mean to cut you off, Rhino. Um, but when he talked about that book, he's like, you know, this guy's with the New York Times. And so his access to some of the world, some of the people, it was just nutty. And so that was such a great story. So we love that you guys are listening. Make sure you check out our new website, theconfines.com. Follow us at the Friendly Confines Cubs Facebook page. Ryan is at Twitter at Ryan D. Lieber. I'm at the Chad Gordon. Rhino, another fun interview. I can't wait to see who else we get this this season. Oh, without a doubt. So with that, that will wrap things up on this special edition of the Friendly Confines. For Chad, I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Have a good one. See you at the ballpark, everybody. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game. For I've seen other teams and it's never the same. When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're healed. The first time you walk into Wrigley.